Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Welcome to the star-studded end-of-the-year screening room extravaganza with our <laughs> special guest stars Lola Falana and Gallagher. No? We don't have any guest stars? No. It's just us. Welcome. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com, and this is the Screening Room Podcast, and it's brought to you by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With the 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos Surround Sound and Dream Lounger Recliners. Okay, so the year in film, 2017, what are the overall... When I think about it, I think about it. It was a, a down year for animated movies, I yeah. think. Comedies. Also, down year for comedies. Man. Yeah. Something like Bad Mom's Christmas, one of the worst movies I saw this year. Mm -hmm. And there's a few of those. Not really. And the one that just came out, Father Figures. I mean, just bad, yeah. bad outright comedies. But some very good semi-comedies that we'll talk yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. Sort of dramedies. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, when we talk about the top ten, which we're going to count down here, for me, this year, really nothing, I think, jumped right away and said, oh, that is the best movie of the year. For me, there was a bunch that could have been. Mm -hmm. You know, could have been two, three, four, or could have been one. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of how it was for me. Last year, I had really two at the very top, La La Land and Moonlight, and then I put them in after that. This year, really a bunch could have been number one. Now, I don't know if that's how you feel no, about it. No, my number one was pretty hardcore number one from the time I saw it. But one of the things I really liked about this year was that it was a great year for horror, for Big, giant blockbuster horror, which is very uncommon. Now, one yeah. of those, It, that cost a lot to make. But yeah. the other two did not get out and split. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for, to a degree, also the film It, none of them were huge, expensive films to make, but they made a boatload of money. And as a fan of the genre, that's good news for me because it means that the genre is going to start getting bigger budgeted yes. scripts, bigger budgeted directors, bigger name actors, yep. and that's all good news. And all three of those were good movies, yes, they too. Were. Only one of them made our top ten. But they all three are very solid movies. Agreed. So that's a good point. And also a good year, I think overall, good year for women. Oh, yes. No, I definitely think so. For directors, features that are led by women, yeah, I think it was a big deal for that. Yeah, and a good year for what we'll call fresh perspectives. Yes. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that because we've got some extra fun categories that we'll get into uh, once we get into the countdown. But we're going to count down our top ten movies of 2017. Now, we did an entire Top 25 countdown. If you want to check that out, you can do it on our main website, and that is madwolf.com. We do write a little bit about every movie and got the trailers and the whole thing there. So that's our complete countdown, but we're going to do the condensed version here and just mainly talk about the Top 10. And of course, when we talk about a Top 10, we're going to start where else? At number 11. <laughs> <laughs> because number 11 is Star Wars The Last Jedi, and I think last year when we posted our our top 10 or our top 25, whatever, you know, people chime in on social media. And one of our favorite comments, somebody just commented, hipster is going to hip, which <laughs> I thought was hysterical because that's the cliche about movie critics, right? Oh, you just like stuff that nobody sees. And that's all artsy fartsy movies. So if I, if I can, before we talk about Star Wars, yeah. it's not that it's that we see so many more movies. Well, that is true. And just to clarify that point, last January 1st, we started keeping exact track of every movie that we watched. We went, we got a little notebook, a <laughs> little mini notebook, and so we wrote mini titles in it, and when we got down to counting them, it was hard to read the writing on some of them. Because uh, we saw, in some cases, three or four movies oh, in a yes. day. So the final tally was 352. That's right. Is that correct? Yes. 352 movies for you. 
for that <laughs> public service. So you're right. We do, we do see so many more movies and have a chance to see so many of these that a lot of them don't get seen a lot. Right. And that's another one of our, our offshoot categories that we'll talk about. But yeah. But at number 11 in our top 10, the big blockbuster, Star Wars The Last Jedi. We thought, I know there's a lot of, boy, a lot of conversation a lot. about this movie. But we thought, in a nutshell, it honored the tradition of the movie while getting you ready to move past it. Exactly. And I think it's the move past it that bothered so many people. But, but we have to. It's yes, time. It is time. It's time. You know, I really loved in The Force Awakens the way basically the entire film is a drum roll to Luke Skywalker yeah. just turning around and saying nothing. I thought that was brilliant. And I and I enjoyed Force Awakens, but it, it was so slavishly devoted to the uh to the original set of it films was. that I, I appreciated that this one broke new ground. It yeah. was like, so we've established these interesting new characters. Let's see what they do. And I was fine with the Force Awakens doing that. Because it was the first one back, and here we go. So we do it that yep, way last yep. time, and now it's time to start getting you ready to move on. I, I, Ryan I'm, I'm Johnson. With you. Ryan Johnson is a visionary filmmaker, um, and I love Looper. I love Brick, and I'm very excited to see where he goes with this. Yeah, I'm with you. We neither one of us understand all the all the pearl clutching because we we <laughs> thought it, we thought it was very good. Number eleven. So let's move on. Number ten. Number ten is a ghost story. Love this one. If it was just me, I think. This would probably be higher on the list for me because I absolutely love this movie. It's from writer-director David Lowry. He did Ain't Them Bodies Saints years ago. I love that movie yeah. so much. And he brings back the same main two yeah. actors, yeah. Uh, Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck. And it's a it's a story about Casey Affleck's character. They're married. They're young marrieds. And his character dies in a car crash. And then his character then becomes this white-sheeted ghost. You know, white-sheeted just like a child's Halloween costume as we follow the ghost, uh, as he moves through time and space and, and watches his wife try to move on and watches uh, other people, and I thought it was just so very, very effective. One that you really had to give yourself over to. I think I understand how maybe it wouldn't work for everybody, but boy, it worked for me. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful film, very poetic. I don't want to see even deliberately paced. It's just slowly trance-like. It is. It's very clever still, and... But it builds on such existential dread, but in a really lovely way, mm -hmm. although very melancholy. And Rooney Mara is actually not in it for that long, but she, her performance is wonderful, as is usually the case. Yeah, and it, it finishes up with an ending that I thought was just picture perfect. Even mm -hmm. though even though you're right, it is melancholy. It's about death and the certainty of time and the inevitability of fate and things like that. The the ending was so perfect I smiled. I mean it was sure. it was so perfect. And that's number ten, a ghost story. Number nine. Number nine is Catherine Bigelow's Detroit. She's back with writer Mark Bowl and they have done some great work together. Yes. Uh Zero Dark Thirty, the Hurt Locker. You know, I mean they've they've done some brilliant films and tackled this difficult subject matter and they certainly do that again here. Yes, another historical drama as those other two movies you mentioned were. This mm -hmm. one uh, centers around the infamous Algiers Motel incident in Detroit, a very racially charged incident if you don't know that much about it. This one certainly lets you know about it. It's very factual, very, at times it has a, a bit of a documentary feel, Does a, little bit. a mm -hmm. docudrama feel, and it's really well put together. I will 
caution you that it is not pleasant. No. Not pleasant at all, but it also feels necessary. You know, and it has, um, she uses kind of a shifting point of view with her camera that, first of all, keeps the film from being a little too claustrophobic, which it could have been. And again, it's so it's so uncomfortable that to add that claustrophobia to it might have been too much. But it also is interesting because it it really does... It helps each character, because it's an ensemble piece, kind of fill out a little bit. You see more of them than you might have if it had been told from a, a single perspective. And the performances across the board are great. John Boyega is great, but man, Will Poulter is terrifying and brilliant. Will Poulter, who you may remember in... Um, the Revenant? The Revenant, yeah. He... Yeah, we Are the Millers. Oh, Very the different Millers. film. <laughs> that was kind of funny. Uh, we Are the Millers. Yeah, Will Poulter is fantastic. I have not seen him really getting mentioned for any end-of-the-year awards I'd like to see him nominated. I would. I would he like was to see him so nominated. Best supporting actor. He was so good. And so scary as this incredibly racist cop. And, yeah, he was just, just chilling. But you're right. Across the board, it's a it's a very good ensemble. Anthony Mackie yes. is oh, in it as Anthony well. Oh, Anthony Mackie is great. Yeah. And it's just really well put together. And it's meant to be nauseating. Yes, it is. Meant to be uncomfortable. Yes, and, boy, it is. But it's, it's such a really well put-together movie. Number nine is Detroit. Number eight. This one we expect to get some Oscar consideration. It's number eight, The Shape of Water. This is Guillermo del Toro's most romantic movie to date. And, and that's if saying a lot. <laughs> if you don't think of him as romantic, I don't think you're watching his films very closely. It's an update of sorts on the creature from the Black Lagoon. It's not set in the Black Lagoon. It's actually set in a lab in Cold War era Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And it focuses on a member of the janitorial staff played by Sally Hawkins, who is mute and falls in love with the creature. The whole film, it looks so beautiful. It's all in blues and greens. The Again, oh my God, this cast. Amazing. Top to bottom. Michael Shannon, Octavia Spencer. Richard Jenkins. Michael Stuhlbard. Yeah. And of course, Sally Hawkins, who will undoubtedly get nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, she's had an incredible year, because I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, another performance of hers this year, Maudie, Maudie. which nobody saw. She definitely deserves uh, consideration for that, but it'll be this movie, and that's okay. I'm yeah, okay with she's that. She's great in this. She's and, you know, great. And she she plays a mute. And I know it's always a cliche that the Oscar voters are going to be swayed toward uh, a, a performance of a, of a character with disability. But I think it's rarely a character who doesn't get to deliver any lines. And yeah. she doesn't. And and she's she's magnetic. Yeah, she's such a great actor. And I, I hopefully this year she will get the due. She's been kind of coming on in the last few years. You know, getting more and more well known, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. I think she's been she's been nominated at least once, maybe yeah. twice before. So maybe for Happy Go Lucky, and definitely for uh, Blue Jasmine. Yeah, The Shape of Water comes in at number eight. Number seven. Number seven is It Comes at Night. Oh yeah, this was one that got a lot of uh, a lot of arguments back and forth Indeed. because I think a lot of people felt that when they went to see the movie, they were maybe sold Gypped. on a movie that didn't end up being on the mm-hmm, screen mm-hmm. through the marketing. A little bit like The Witch, which we loved so much, and so many people were yeah. not happy about it. Yeah, because this is centered around a family out in the woods, and they are hunkering down, trying to survive in the face of some sort of worldwide plague or catastrophe. You're not quite sure what, but and then eventually they take in another family to uh, seek refuge with them. And then slowly what it becomes is a, a look at not so much what is the danger outside, but what the danger is inside with, with people themselves. I mean, it's so much even more subtle than that. because So that kind of a, an idea, that's really the fuel of the film. 
Night of the Living Dead, right, is that they're in more danger with the people who are seeking shelter on the inside. But it's not because in that case, bad people turn badder, right? That's not the case here. No. It's what will fear drive you to even if you are a good person. And it's just beautifully acted, and it looks amazing. Very dreamy. Yeah, and in some ways, for me, what happens to these characters is even more chilling. Heartbreaking. Uh, Yeah, um, but but a lot of people wanted, you know, they saw the ads, and they wanted, I I want some monster to come, and you don't get that. But I think what you do get is a much more effective movie, and it it comes at night, number seven. Number six. At number six, certainly one of the more unusual films to come out this year, in a good way, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Yes, odd and brilliant and glorious. I loved every frame of this movie, partly because it looked so amazing, very Kubrick in the way it looked. And it tells the story of a surgeon and his seemingly perfect family who are kind of uh, freaked out a little bit by the attention they're getting from the son of a deceased patient. That son is played by Barry Keogh, who was also in Dunkirk, was great in Dunkirk, is utterly amazing, amazing yeah, I in would this really, movie. I would really like to see him get an Oscar nomination for I Best agree. Supporting Actor because he, he really, he is the center of this movie. He, he is. is, and all the events revolve around him. Yes. And once he invades this family's life, what's uh, the effect that he has on them? And it's, it's fascinating. It's the latest by Yorgos Lanthimos, Hope I pronounced that right. And he did The Lobster last which year. Which you love. Which was one of my favorite movies of the year. Now, last year, The Lobster was much more of an outright comedy, a, a black comedy. But this one, boy, talk about a black comedy. This has moments of dark, dark, dark comedy. Yes. But then it also has moments where it could be an outright horror movie. Right? No, agreed. And it's certainly a drama, an indie drama as well. But I think it's because, as you say, in, in Lobster, you're set in sort of a, a cinematic universe that you you recognize as not being your own. In this one, it's clearly our own. In fact, it is Cincinnati, Ohio is where it's set. Right. And and I think that makes it that much more unsettling. You know, it, it's every time you want to just sort of let go and uh, accept the absurdity of it, then you're smacked with sort of this weird realism in the in the closer to home setting it makes it a lot more alarming i yeah. think and it's fascinating and it also has great performances by colin farrell and nicole kidman mm-hmm. who, who both had good years as yes. well they, they starred together also in the beguile great which one. made our top 25 list didn't make quite the top 10 but a movie from this year that we liked very very much and number six is the killing of a sacred deer before we move on to the top five let's take a detour toward a few different offshoot categories Best, nobody saw it. Yeah, so this would be just what the category says. Nobody saw these movies. But, but they, you should. But they were really worth checking out. The first one is Brigsby Bear, and that one stars um, Kyle Mooney from Saturday Night Live, and it's produced by some of the guys from the uh, Lonely Island, you know, sure. Andy Samberg's group. So I never, ever dreamed I'd get the nuance that this movie brings, but it's really enjoyable about a guy who has only watched one TV show his entire life, and then he gets put back into the, the real world and how he deals with his obsession with this with this TV show. And it also stars Mark Hamill, right. uh, Luke Skywalker. He's in this as well, kind of playing on his iconic fanboy you know, heritage. 
in this role, and it's really worth checking out, and that is Brigsby Bear. And number two is, I know one you love. The Survivalist. Nobody saw called The Survivalist. No, nobody saw it. You need to see it. It's as spare and hunkered down as a movie can be. It's a post-apocalyptic thriller uh, set really basically in this man's cabin, and just the tension of, of his trying to survive, and then two women approach his cabin hoping to just share his food, and little by little you see that the two of them are still looking for survival, and unfortunately he's found something worse than a survival instinct, which is desire. He wants. They just need. And and just the way it spins from there on, it's so incredibly tight and well-made. So a little, a, a few of the same themes from It Comes at Night. Exactly. Yeah, and that's the survivalist. And number one, best nobody saw it, a movie called Columbus. Not Columbus, Ohio, where we are, but Columbus, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And this one is, it's the debut. That's another thing about the year in movies, 2017. A lot of debuts. Saw a lot of great debuts. Yes, really, really strong. And this is one from a writer-director that goes by the name Koganada. Mm-hmm. And it's two people played terrifically by Haley Lou Richardson and John Cho. Mm-hmm. And they are both stuck in Columbus, Indiana for very different reasons. And it's a very, you mentioned this phrase before, deliberately paced movie, beautiful movie that's a a rumination on just the mystery of human connection. Right. And I thought it was just beautiful. Yeah, a really uh, a friendship film. You know, I don't even know if deliberately paced. It was just very, very confidently made. Yes. And uh, and bravo Especially for, for a debut. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's our uh, number one best nobody saw at Columbus. What's next? Best? Let's fight about it. These three films got a lot of arguments over the past year and number three is the one we just talked about it. It comes at night because of the way that people seemed to think they were led to a movie that wasn't there. Right. Just people were mad. They were mad that there wasn't a, a some gore. They were mad that there wasn't a monster going to come in at night. And and I and I'm sorry about that because yeah. I think that if you if that's what you were looking for, you missed something really rich and and equally terrifying. Exactly right. And at number 2 in best let's fight about it. This was going to be number 1 by a wide margin until something came in to steal its thunder, but still <laughs> Boy, talk about a polarizing movie, and that is Mother. Which we both liked. Loved it. Though we both realize it is a hot mess. It's a hot mess. It's a hot mess. And on this one, you know, in contrast to It Comes at Night, I do understand the people that do not like this movie. It's not for everybody. No, it isn't. And it's basically, if you're a fan of Darren Aronofsky's, especially if you're a fan of a wider selection of his films than just a couple of that have gotten Oscar contention, you'll recognize... All of the issues he has been dealing with through his adult life as a filmmaker because he puts all of them into this movie. And it's a movie that just, the, the farther along it goes, you're like, is this is this going to happen now? Oh, you're going there. Oh, and we're going to go further. I mean, it's just amazing the way things escalate in this movie. But the performances are glorious. And I don't think I've, I can't remember another film this year that caused me more anxiety while I was watching. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one, like I said, we both liked it, but... Mm-hmm. And it's one that you could talk to ten different people, and you you might get ten different ten different interpretations of what they think the movie was about. Certainly, and, at least four, because yeah. <laughs> four of us saw it together, and each and of all, us had a completely different interpretation. Exactly right. So number two on best, let's fight about it is Mother, and that could only leave one at number one. Of course, it's Star Wars: The Last Jedi. When I walked out of it, we got to see it about three days early. I even tweeted about it. Oh, this will be a crowd pleaser. Well, uh, I guess about half the crowd. No, you know, here's what I think. I think that the number of people who like this movie far, far, far outnumber those who didn't. It's just that those who didn't are so vocal about it. Yeah, I think you're right. Because I think they feel 
such a profound connection with not only the original three, but with the character of Luke Skywalker. Yeah, and there's, you know, it goes back on your, you know, you grew up with Star Wars and it's like a bit of my childhood. Well, you know what? I'm right there with you. Oh, I know you are. I was one of the original Star Wars nerds. I was in junior high when the first one came out. I was all about it. And I just loved how it, like we said before, it honored that, but it said, okay, let's let's get ready to move on now. So I really cannot understand. Let the past die. Um, Let all, it die. I'm not saying ringing. we should all listen to everything Kylo Ren has to say, but <laughs> I think that was good advice. What about emo Kylo Ren? <laughs> so number one best let's fight about it easily is The Last Jedi. One more side category. Hit it. Best Fresh Perspective. Yeah, these are three films that gave us another way to look at things. And number three was Wonder Woman, a huge huge success and what it showed was how this character specifically but women in general can be viewed through the lens of a female director. Yes. So, and there are two things that I want to point out. One is that when a film has a female director and that film bombs, it's blamed on the fact that a woman directed it. When a film bombs with a male director, it's just another movie. Yeah. So Patty Jenkins had the weight of the earth on her shoulders when she brought this film out. And I am so happy to say that it was a raging success. Yeah. But one of the things, there are so many, there, I have some issues with this movie as a film, not as a feminist. I think the third act is a little bit weak. But it was so incredibly heartwarming to see how a woman frames a woman superhero. Yes. Um, and how, uh, you know, just little things like the interaction with the male character and how he comes to his own determination that, no, I don't need to hold the door for her. Why would I be <laughs> holding the door? Why do I keep reaching to hold her hand? You know, it was just, um, it was so insightful without being preachy, without beating you about the head with it. Just let her be a hero because that's what she is. And really, all the more evidence you need of that is Justice League. Yes. That came out this year. And you saw, even though she wasn't the the only star of that movie, the way she was filmed by a male director in that movie, so much different. It was very, very apparent. Just count the number of times she flips her hair in Justice League. (laughs) Number two, our best fresh perspective, The Big Sick. Boy, talk about renewing my faith in the romantic comedy. Oh, I I hear you. I I, I tell you the truth, I didn't go see it when it first came out. You did. You reviewed it. Because I don't go to romantic comedies unless I have no other choice. Because since Bull Durham, I can probably name three that don't suck. And and I came home and told you, nope, this is one. Yes, you did. This is one you're going to like because it it is, it's such a fresh perspective. Not only culturally, because Kumail, the um, star and co-writer, is Pakistani. Mm -hmm. So you've got that, you've got cultural uh, perspectives, and just the perspective of a romantic comedy that doesn't condescend. Oh my God. So not only that, so it's a romantic comedy told from the point of view of a man, which is very uncommon, from, right, a Pakistani, so it's not that, you know, the jokes are very, very different. It's, I mean, it's just a very interesting and rarely uh, afforded to the movie audience point of view, but then also because the story itself is is not one of those ridiculous fairy tales, but it's based entirely on a true story yeah. about how he met his wife. Right. He and his wife wrote the script. Yeah, and it, so obviously it's authentic, but it's also very funny and very well acted. You've got some... Um, Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter and Ray, Ray Romano. Great. The two leads were great. Zoe Kazan. Yeah, go, Zoe Kazan plays his girlfriend. So yeah, The Big Sick very much renewed my faith in the possibilities of a romantic comedy and the best fresh perspective of the year. Well, one that we're going to talk about a little bit more here coming up, but it's Get Out. 
Jordan Peele's horror movie that has so much great social commentary about it. And uh, let's hold off because, yeah. We are going to talk about it again. We but are just to say. Going to talk about it again. But love so let, you. Yeah, so that's number one best fresh perspective of 2017. Let's get back to the countdown. Number five. Into the top five now, and it is Blade Runner 2049. Such a beautiful film. I expect many technical Oscars for this. Oh, yes. I think that between this and Dunkirk, I don't think anybody else ought to be even applying for technical Oscars this year. Uh, And it's also, you know what? It's really well acted. It honestly is. And it's really well directed. Denis Villeneuve took over for Ridley Scott, obviously. And uh, he does, and I hate, I mean, this is blasphemy, but he creates an even maybe more impressive look at this retro future, hard-boiled detective kind of a yeah. environment that Ridley Scott gave us in the first place, partly because you leave Los Angeles. He gives us a much broader view of the rest of of you know, the world mm-hmm. uh, of, well, 2049. And it's it, it's just gorgeous, breathtaking even. And I think where they took the story after all this time seemed just perfect. I agree. The places they took it. And if you listen to, to Ridley Scott, he's taking credit for some of that. And okay, I don't, right? I don't begrudge the man. Uh, but yeah, they really take it to places that seem logical. Uh, the whole thing makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you've got Ryan Gosling, Harrison Ford, and the, the look of the movie is fantastic. And I think because it had so much expectation after all these years, you know, Blade Runner, finally a sequel. There's lots of ways they could have been a great big thud. Right. Uh, but it wasn't. It was so well done in so many ways. Number five of the best of 2017, Blade Runner 2049. Number four. Number four, we're up to the one we just kind of put on hold a few minutes ago, and that is Get Out. I think rarely does a movie come out so early in the year. This came out in February 2017 Mm -hmm. uh, to get so many award nominations, but I will be shocked if this one does not because it deserves it. I think it is really likely in particular to get an original screenplay nomination. Yeah, I agree, because it's so smart. But I also think... As a director, here's another, his, his first, his first directing feature. Jordan and Peele. Yeah. Jordan Peele, masterful. You know, he, he, so between his script and his direction, he takes all of the tropes that you're familiar with, with a horror movie, and just turns them around, upends them. And you know what? Social commentary is maybe in no genre more common than in horror. So he's in good company here, but I think he outshines really... Well, you know what? Any horror movie I've seen in years. But at the same time, I agree. I agree with that. But at the same time, he displays a real knowledge and affection for horror movies. Absolutely knows what he's doing. Oh yeah. And it also there is humor in there. Not that it should be labeled a comedy as it was in the Golden Globes, and we've talked about that. And that's the Golden Globes. In no <laughs> in no way is this a comedy. As as he has said, it has humor. It does not have jokes. Right. Uh, but it does have a great upending of certain societal norms and beliefs and so much about race in this day and age that we're living in. And it's, yeah, especially, again, we talked about debuts, especially for the first directing effort. Right. Um, boy, just but you know what? If so, that was, so great. If that was all it was, then it, it would have been, you know, hats off to you, but whatever. But he, 
it's a great horror movie. Yeah. You know, I mean, he has instincts for the genre, and, and obviously he has instincts for comedy. He probably has instincts for just about everything, but he has instincts for the horror genre that that take the these themes and ideas, these socially relevant themes and ideas, and turn them into something so memorable and terrifying and entertaining. It mm-hmm. is just it is just a breathtaking new film. Even from the very beginning, we've talked before oh, about prologue. the opening, oh. the prologue of that movie is so well done. It's perfect. And, and it it harkens back to some classic horror movies that you would remember. Oh, yeah, you know, so many. The Neighborhood Street, you know, maybe oh, out of yeah. Halloween, something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, such a well-done effort in so many different ways. Uh, Get Out is number four. Number three. Well, I guess it's appropriate that number three is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. This is writer-director Martin McDonough. Uh, you might remember from... In Bruges, In Bruges. Seven Psychopaths. Seven Psychopaths. This one is where he really feels like he's fulfilling his potential. It's so well written, and the ensemble, the acting here is off the charts. You know, there I, there are so many nearly flawless ensembles out this year. Mudbound, uh, Shape of Water, Beguiled, and this film, and, and you know what, and Get Out. I mean, there are so many, yeah. And uh, but but maybe none as strong as this. Woody Harrelson, Sam Rockwell, Frances, Frances McDormand, McDormand, who's got to be the, the favorite for Best Actress yes. this year. She's yeah. the woman who pays for billboards asking why the local sheriff, Woody Harrelson, has not solved the murder of... Her daughter, right. and then the the social ripples that happen in her little small town, and how she becomes a pariah. But then some unexpected things happen. That's what I loved about this. It'll just take a turn. All of a sudden, a scene will just turn. Something very unexpected will happen, and there'll be anger, there'll be grief, there'll be compassion, and all those things work well within the same narrative. They and really it, do. And there are there are very few films that allow so many minor characters the opportunity to flesh out what they have into three-dimensional people. Yeah, you should you got to see Three Billboards. Number 2. We're almost there. Number 2 is one. This is one that you saw first before I did and you came home raving about Lady Bird. Such a great movie. <laughs> Greta Gerwig, we've loved Greta Gerwig for years, yeah. you know, as as an actor and then in the last couple of years as a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. So here she's she's writing and directing and oh my god, is she great. She has such an eye for detail visually was she pans through this. She has such a knack for timing for comedic timing and uh, and if she was the casting agent as well kudos to you yeah the main one Lori Metcalf uh, is certain certain to get an Oscar nomination and probably going to fight it out with Allison Janney from I, Tanya, uh for the award she's fantastic as Lady Bird's mom Saoirse Ronan Always plays Lady brilliant. Bird she's she's cannot go wrong with her. she's got to be I've said for years she's a future Oscar winner and uh, yeah this is another ensemble that is great and tells a very autobiographical story from Greta Gerwig and, and it's it's funny and it's honest and it's real and it's just moving. It's a it's a coming of age story about a girl who's about to graduate from high school and about to head off to college. And one of the things, maybe the thing I like the best, is that it is not for one second angsty. And it's you know it's very funny, it's very self-effacing, but at the same time it's so forgiving, yeah. which you never find in coming of age films. She forgives herself, she forgives her mom, she forgives her friends, she forgives people who are mad at her. I mean the whole film, and it just makes it. enjoyable and lovely. Well, much like The Big Sick reaffirmed our faith in the romantic comedy, this reaffirms our faith in what you can do with a coming-of-age story that is real. Uh, And that's Lady Bird at number two. And the best film of 2017 is... Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. Yeah, so I, I called this... 
20 minutes after I saw it. So <laughs> so I, I staked out the number one, and then eventually George is like, yeah, okay, yeah, I think so. Well, like I said, there was a bunch of movies that could have been number one sure. for me. wouldn't have taken a lot of uh, arguing. I had a bunch at the top, and this one I'm fine with. I sure. mean, it's such a great epic because, in a way, it's... If this makes any sense, it's epic without being epic. Right. I was all in to see it because Christopher Nolan made it, and I'll see anything that he makes. And he filmed it in 70 millimeters, so it's going to look great. But at the same time, I was girding my loins for a two-and-a-half-hour bloodbath, mind-bendy. <laughs> oh, my God, what's going on right now? Yeah. And instead, what I got yeah. was a very dialed-back Christopher Nolan, a quick 90 minutes of the most, the least bombastic and yet most tense action war film you're going to see. Yeah, it's like he has said, It's the, he, uh, Christopher Nolan himself, in an interview I saw, said it's less of a war film, it's more of a survival film. Yeah. And it does gives these different angles about the amazing evacuation of 400,000 British troops from the beaches of Dunkirk, France. And you see it from the air, you see it from the sea, you see it from the ground, as all these people are trying to survive, and it's harrowing, and it's tense, and it's well, it's incredibly directed, and it's well acted. None of the, none of the, the performers really, I think, get enough screen time maybe to be considered for award nominations, although you never know. Uh, so no one really takes a lead, and no, then it, that makes it feel like it's all, we're all, this is a shared yeah, experience. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then there are, you know, there are little pockets of what's happening that are among the tensest and in some cases scariest, yeah. you know, scenes of the year. And I think there are going to be people, I know there have been people who were disappointed in the film because they were looking for that big, you know, swelling score bombast. And, and God love him for not caving into that. You know, what this is, it was I thought of the first thing, this is a very British war movie you know like that what, what is it keep calm and carry on yeah, this is yeah. just they had shit to do and they were going to get it done stiff upper lip but at the same time it's astonishing the oh, story is. that they're it telling is. it's an incredible story uh and also covered from a different angle in the movie darkest hours absolutely that's out right now which is also didn't make this list but very worth seeing and will almost certainly boast the oscar oscar winner for best actor yeah gary oldman playing winston churchill so that's a nice bookend if you get a chance to see Agreed. both films. But this one, sitting at the top of our list for 2017 out of the 352 movies that we saw this year, this would be number one. So what do you think? Let us know your favorites. Maybe, you know, we had some of those best Let's Fight About It movies. You want to fight about it? We're ready for that. <laughs> uh, best way to keep the conversation going is on Twitter. You can find us at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. We're Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook and on Instagram. And again, if you want to check out that entire top 25 list, you can find that on our main website, which is madwolf.com. The Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and the Marcus Crosswoods Theater. Now with the 70 feet wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and the Dream Lounger Recliners. So happy new year. Hope you enjoyed the movies this year. We're looking forward to some great ones. Hopefully, fingers crossed in 2018. And until then, I'm George Wolf. I'm Holt Madden. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. <laughs>